Would you join me in a word of prayer before we dive in? Father God, thank you so much for today, the beginning of the week of passion, of Holy Week, of the week that you uh, walked into Jerusalem triumphant as the crowd hailed you as essentially victorious in the king. Yet, just a few days after that, you were beaten, put through a phony trial. God, you died a brutal death, an excruciating, painful death on the cross. And three days later, as we'll celebrate next week on Easter, you rose again from the dead. And you did it all for us. You did each one of those things for us. For those who are in here, God, I pray that you would just today um, make yourself real to them, God. I pray that you would make for each one of us who are here today, um, who already call ourselves Christ followers, that you would just give us a new sense of what the Holy Week means, God. I pray that we wouldn't just um, go through the motions of yet another Easter season. But God, I pray that we would realize and understand the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of your love for us. God, in many senses, nothing about your life your ministry, and your death was at all fair. But God, in that, in your humanity, in the pain that you had to go through, God, we can connect with you in our pain and in our suffering and in our disappointment and in our failures. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand today that while we're on the path of suffering, so were you. And you're a God who understands you're not a removed God who, who can't connect with us. You're not stone. You're not an idol. You're a living God. And we thank you for that this morning. And God, in many ways, um, we reflect on the songs that we've just sung and the words that we've just sing, sung and, and seen. God, and we cry Hosanna to you. God, we give you the glory and we give you the honor for what you did. And I pray that you would do a work in this room today. And God, I pray for many people that would come here next week who would hear your message and accept you as their Savior. God, be with us now. Holy Spirit, may you move in our lives. God, may you pierce our hearts and search us as David prayed from within. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well this morning. My name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm really glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 21. Uh, we got a lot to cover today, so we're going to blitz through it, but we're going to be starting Matthew 21, and we're going to go through Matthew 27. Don't worry, we're not going to read every verse of Matthew 21 through 27, but we do have a lot uh, to cover, and so I want to encourage you uh, to follow along today. In this series uh, called It's Not Fair, we've really taken a look at the humanity of Jesus, not the divinity of Jesus. That comes next week, by the way, on Easter Sunday, right? Am I right? With Resurrection Sunday. Uh, because there's nothing that demonstrates um, who Jesus was and the fact that he was God more than rising again from the dead and, de and defeating death and uh, overcoming sin all for us so that we can have eternity in heaven with him. But today we continue and we really end this series called It's Not Fair. It's one of the easiest things that we say in life. It's one of the first things that we learn to say in life. 
and we've covered uh, now today, after we're done, we'll have covered three different areas of It's Not Fair. Uh, we looked in week one at Jesus' genealogy and his history, and we looked at the fact that the, the family that he was born into and the time that he was born into wasn't fair, and some of us feel like that in our families. Last week, we looked at how he was disowned, he was, uh, uh, he was uh, betrayed uh, by Judas and essentially disowned by, uh, by uh, his uh, friend Peter, and so his disciple Peter, and so we looked at the fact that you and I um, live our lives, and it's not fair often because of betrayal. And denial when people turn their backs on us and stab us in the back. And today we're wrapping this up and we're taking a look at what it means um, to go through suffering when all is lost, when you seemingly have lost everything in your life, when you go through suffering that is excruciating. And I, I want to let you know today that as you look at Jesus's life and as we read the Matthew account of Jesus's life, um, some of you are going to have the tendency to say, he had it so bad, um, I, I should just pull myself up by the bootstraps and get over it, right? Okay, and that's not a bad thing. So maybe in your case, and I've had those times in my life where you know, I've just had to say, hey, just pick yourself up. It, it's going to be okay. And in light of what Jesus went through, um, our, our suffering is, is, it really pales in comparison. Um, but that's not the message of today, okay? The message of today is for whatever suffering you go through, um, that you can go through it, you can journey through it, you can get through it because of Jesus, not because of anything you can do for yourself or not because of anything that anyone can do for you, but you have a Savior that not only gave you eternal life by his act, but you have a Savior that has gone through many of the painful sufferings that you and I go through on a regular basis in this life. And he understands it because he understands that should draw us closer to him, not further away from him. And so my message today is really one of challenge, but it's one of encouragement as we look at the life of Jesus. I, I know that I have said in my life before um, that life is not fair because of suffering, and let's face it, I haven't suffered that much in life. But suffering comes in all forms. And lest you think that your suffering doesn't matter to Jesus, because he loves you, it does. Because he loves you, what you're going through or what you have been through, or I hate to say this, what you might be facing in the near future, uh, your suffering is meaningful to Jesus, and he wants to connect, you, connect with you on that. Look, there are all kinds of sufferings, aren't there? Um, there? There are financial sufferings, right? We all survived the Great Recession. Um, there are financial sufferings. I, I read uh, an article just yesterday, actually, that said even here, uh, you know, uh, things are going so much better, but, you know, income still continues to go down in our area. Uh, and so, you know, uh, there, there is financial suffering that some of you are facing. I'm so proud of many of you who um, have taken Financial Peace University because the suffering is so much easier to handle when you know how to handle it. Am I right? So for those of you who are in financial peace, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but bravo, way to go. Give them a hand this morning for going through financial peace. we got a great class, and uh, uh, they're doing a great job, and so I want to encourage you. But there's financial suffering. Um, some of you uh, will go through suffering in terms of relationships. Some of you will go through suffering because of choices that other people have made. Some of you had an accident happen to you, and you've gone through suffering. Uh, many of you are here today, and either you or a loved one have gone through health suffering. And we've had a lot of that in our church uh, over the course of the last uh, few months and years. And at the end, uh, I want to tell you a story of, of, of victory in that. But your suffering, even though it may not look exactly like Jesus, oh, I forgot to mention one, emotional suffering, emotional suffering. Listen, I, 
I'm just going to, you know, peel the layer back for a moment. Um, I, I've gone through the last two years, um, some ups and downs in my life in terms of uh, just like uh, really being discouraged and even at moments uh, going through depression that I've never thought in a million years that I would go through. You know, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to deal with that stuff, right? That is a bunch of baloney, okay? Let me tell you. And so some of you may be here, and your suffering is on the emotional side of things. I get it more than any time in my life. I understand that, and so does Jesus, because he faced so many things just like, just like we did. So the question I want to ask you as we dive in today and we look at Jesus' life from Palm Sunday all the way through his, uh, through his death, and next week we'll, obviously we'll take a look at his resurrection, is what is your suffering? What is your suffering? What area of your life have you suffered? Has it been uh, relational? Has it been health? Has it been business or finance? Has it been with your children who are wayward? Um, what is your area of suffering? And be thinking about that as you look at Jesus's life. And today, largely, I'm going to let scripture speak for itself as we take a look at Jesus and what he did. Now, before I dive in, because we're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning, I want to tell you that as Jesus entered Jerusalem on the Sunday of Passover, so he would have entered Jerusalem on the Sunday of Passover, a day just like today, and as he entered Jerusalem, like many Jews did during that time and that era, they would come in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And Passover was a time where they would come and they would have festivals and meals celebrating the goodness of God. Okay, think about that for a moment. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, celebrating the goodness of God, celebrating the faithfulness of God. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem, there were kind of like three people. Um, there, there were his fans and followers, okay, fans and followers. There were those people who were either really close to him or had been changed by him, and they were celebrating the fact that this rabbi who was going to uh, you know, be their Messiah and was their Messiah was coming into Jerusalem. So there were fans. The second group of people um, are the people that hated Jesus, and over the course of the next few days, um, he taught some things that caused that hatred to increase exponentially. I mean, it just boiled. They boiled with anger. And those were his people. The other Jewish rabbis and Jewish leaders, the, the uh, chief priest and, and, and the leaders there in Jerusalem just burned with anger against Jesus. So there were fans and followers. There were those who hated him. And then there were the, the Romans. And the Romans were in control uh, from a civic standpoint, and all they wanted to do was just keep the peace, all right? They just wanted, have you ever been in a situation where, like, two grown-ups are, are fighting, uh, you know, about something, and you want to go, hey, just get along, okay? Let me talk to you like you're two years old. Just get along, please. And that's kind of the way the Romans wanted things. They just wanted peace. You know, they just wanted things to be fine. The Jews were beginning to be unhappy. Jesus was causing all kinds of problems. There were the fans and followers against those who hated him, and all they wanted to do was keep the peace. And so that's the setting for what we're going to look at today, except for one thing. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he was at the height of his popularity in terms of this. And I hate, I know I hate that word too. Some of you are like, ooh, I don't like that word. That's not the right word. Okay, it is the right word because people had seen what he had done. They had experienced his healing. They had heard what he said and it was so different that there were thousands of people that were really like following him honestly and authentically and, 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 and genuinely. And so they bought into what he was saying and they became followers. And so that's the scene 
on this Palm Sunday as we watch Jesus walk in, and then we're going to fast forward to what happens on thir uh, Thursday and Friday of uh, his death. Look at Matthew 21, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 6, because Jesus has told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and to, to go find this person, and they were going to celebrate this festival together as a group of people. Matthew 21, verses 6 through 11. Let's take a look. The disciples, they went and they did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on their cloaks, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I'm going to come back to that when we're done. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? This was unusual for a rabbi to come in and people were singing Hosanna. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus. This is the prophet of Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus comes in, and he's riding on a colt or a donkey. And it's interesting because there are all these people that are crying Hosanna. Now, when I was growing up in our church, uh, maybe you had a similar story. Um, in our church, they would have palm branches all over the place on Palm Sunday. Some of you probably grew up with that, and, and that was awesome. And we would often sing Hosanna, and we, we often do that here. Hosanna was a Greek word that essentially was like, um, how many of you are, are UNC fans in here? You guys won a basketball game last night? Good grief. There's no UNC fans in here? There's one? UNC? That's amazing. Okay. It is Clemson territory. I get it. That's fine. That's right. I'm a Georgia Bulldog, so we don't even care. But anyway, UNC last night won a pretty big game against Kentucky. Sorry. I know there's a lot of Kentucky people. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't be mad at me. I, I don't have a dog in the fight. Okay? I don't care. But last night, UNC, um, you know, they, they won. And so, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of cheering going on. Am I right? There was a, let me give you a better illustration. Clemson, when you guys, like, won the game to go into the national championship this year, you guys did a lot of cheering, right? right. Yeah, okay, all right, there you go. All right, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and then you played Alabama. And so anyway... Um, <laughs> Ooh, man, I'm going to get in trouble for that one. And anyway, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, there were chants of Hosanna, and what they were chanting and what they were singing and yelling was a victory cheer. That's what it was. It was an exclamation of, he's come, there's victory, he's here, let's shout hooray, and it was, a, it was, a, it was an expression of praise. It was one of those few words that from all the way back in the Old Testament and the Hebrew to the Greek didn't change that much. It just, it was an, a, a chant of excitement. And so we see Jesus coming in and there, there may be up to thousands of people that are singing Hosanna. That's why people said, who is this? Who is this one that they're chanting and singing to? He must be someone extremely special. He was, wasn't he? He was. He was the son of God. And so there were people that were following him, and the crowd joined in. And that is why we call it the triumphal entry. That's the beauty of it. That's, that's what Jesus did when he came in to Jerusalem. Now, what you're going to read next, what we're going to read next, is completely different. And it takes place on the Thursday and into Friday. And, and like, you're going to read it and go, what in the world happened? The triumphal entry happens on Sunday. And by Thursday, what you're going to see happens, happens. 
And why does it happen? Well, the, the chief priests, the Jewish leaders of that day, were already upset with what Jesus was doing. And between the time that we read in, in Matthew chapter 21 and where we're going to read Matthew 26 and 27, here's what Jesus does. He teaches he teaches a lot. He makes a lot of analogies. He gives a lot of stories that people would understand how to live the Christian life. And one of the things that he does is he stirs up two groups of people. Number one, he stirs up the Romans um, because he talks a little bit about and he teaches a little bit about authority coming from God and from, from uh, a government. And so he talks a little bit about that. But the people he really ticked off, he talks directly to the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees and those religious leaders, those ones that were really hypocrites because they said one thing and lived a different way. And these were the guys that were essentially in charge. These were the power brokers of that day because it was a Roman state. It was part of the Roman Empire. But who was in charge? Really the religious leaders of that day. And so he really ticked them off. And so that's what happens in between that Sunday and what we're going to read next. Let's take a look at, at what we're going to read. They plotted against him, and we read a little bit about that last week uh, with Judas. And so we're kind of filling in some of the blanks here. Take a look at this. Going all the way to Matthew chapter 26. You can turn over to chapter 26 if you have your Bibles and read this. And we're going to be in 57 through 68. Then those who seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him. How far away? At a distance. Love that. That's awesome. They're like, oh, man, he's in trouble. I'm not going to get too close. Like, he's already backing off, okay, at a distance. As far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony uh, against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found... Say it with me. None. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward, verse 61, and said, This man um, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And what does Jesus do in verse 64? Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus like doesn't make his case any better here. He says, yes, I am the Son of God. And by the way, I'm going to be sitting at his right hand when you see me next. <laughs> like he just really, you know realized his mission he didn't try to lawyer up and try to defend his case he said yeah i am the son of god verse 65 then the high priest tore his robes and he said he has uttered blasphemy what further witnesses do we need now you have heard his blasphemy what is your judgment and they answered he deserves what does he deserve death deserves death then they spit in his face and struck him something that religious leaders typically would not have done and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? They're trying to trick him. And so we see here this, this phony trial, this arrest and this phony trial that just happens literally in the matter of probably an hour or two. And they can't find any witnesses, but Jesus essentially says, yes, I am the Christ. And they charge him with, with blasphemy. 
And then they get the Romans involved. They get, uh, the, they get the, the leader of the Roman government involved. Take a look all the way down to verse 20, or chapter 27, going down to verse 24. Pilate, here the leader of the Romans, who didn't want anything to do with this to begin with. Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing. He was trying to convince them to back off. He was trying to convince these religious leaders to back off of Jesus. What has he done? He hasn't done anything. But he wasn't gaining anything. But he, rather, the, the riot was beginning. Okay, so these chief priests, these religious leaders, were kind of like, you know, uh, um, fomenting a riot. It was kind of like this just building up of a group of people that were crying out against Jesus now. And he took water and literally he washed his hand before the crowd and he said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. I'm done with this trial. I'm done with this phony trial. And all the people answered him, his blood be on us and our children. They didn't care. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a thorn of crowns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, Jesus, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a name, man named Cyrene of Cyrene, by the name of Simon, they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews And the two robbers that were crucified with him, one to the right and one to the left, and those who passed by, they derided him, waging um, their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests, once again, these leaders come in, the chief priest Caiaphas and the scribes and the elders, they mocked him saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's a joke. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires for him to do so. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And then we skip down now from the sixth hour. There was darkness in all the land, and Jesus cried out in verse 46. He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus, even on the cross, felt like God had turned his back on him. He was in so much pain. They thought it was Elijah, but in verse 50, all the way down to 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. It's so amazing to see this story in this context when you take Palm Sunday and you put it right up against what happened to him in those hours of Thursday night into Friday as he went to his death on Friday. And Matthew gives kind of a, a, a quick account of the crucifixion. If you look in some of the other Gospels, you'll read it. And I, I can't even describe on Sunday morning what happened to him physically. Many of you would have to get up and, and walk out if I described in detail 
the pain and the agony that he went through, not only in the beating and the scourging, but in the crucifixion. This is, this is the man who came into Jerusalem on Sunday and, and was honored as a king, as victorious. And it wasn't fair that this completely innocent man was made to endure this phony jury and trial and this brutal beating and then this death, the death of a criminal. He was innocent. And so when you think about it's not fair, this is the ultimate story of it's not fair. Am I right? He was the son of God. He never sinned. There wasn't any sin on him whatsoever. The perfect lamb as it was prophesied. It wasn't fair that this completely innocent man was made to endure this phony trial. At the beginning of the week, here is Jesus. He comes in. He was honored as a king, but by the end of the week, he was mocked, and he was disgraced. He was disgraced, and he was tortured and killed as a criminal. Listen, um, in your life and mine, tragedy can strike quickly, can't it? It can strike in a heartbeat. It can strike in a moment. It can come when you least expect it and often does. Suffering doesn't usually like have warning, does it? it? You usually don't get a text saying it's coming. Suffering is heading your way. It often happens without you even knowing about it. And I want you to know today um, that Jesus understands the tragedy and the suffering that you may be going through right now or have gone through in the past or may be facing in the near future. Because he went through it himself on the cross. Because he went through it himself on the cross. But not only that, I want you to realize that those, there were people around Jesus that were suffering because of what he was going through. Um, Matthew talks about it. So does um, John. Just take, take a look at this real quick from Matthew 27, 55, and 56. There were also many of the women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus of Galilee ministering to him. And among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mothers of, of the sons of Zebedee. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. There's a lot of Marys around the cross, okay? When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold, your son. And then he said to the disciple, talking about John, behold, your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her in his own home. He made sure that Mary was taken care of. It was one of the last seven phrases of Christ from the cross. He made sure that his mother was taken care of by one of the disciples he was closest to. See, many of Jesus' friends and, and family looked on as he was beaten and mocked and eventually murdered right there in front of them. I can't imagine what his mother was going through at that moment. I mean, moms, dads, can you imagine? looking up and seeing your 33-year-old son on a cross and seeing what happened to him. You know, even you and I, for what we may go through, even if we have not lost everything or anything in our lives, um, there's real pain and suffering when you and I walk with someone who's lost everything. It was a year ago today after church that um, I got on a plane really fast because my mom's health was going downhill so quickly. And I, I got to Florida, and um, to make a long, long story short, two days later, she had died. I was going down to help my dad. Um, six weeks from the time that we found out that her cancer was back to the, to the time that she died on March the 24th of last year. 
I mean, in a, in a moment, my dad's life changed, my life changed, my sister's life changed, my brother-in-law, Cynthia, our kids, the four grandkids, in a, in a couple of days. I was going down to help. I wasn't going down for a funeral. I ended up staying for a funeral. I ended up being, obviously, a part of her funeral. And some of you are here today, and you're watching loved ones go through such pain and such agony and suffering. And you know what? When you watch someone you love so dearly, you're in it with them, aren't you? So today, it may not be your own suffering. It may not be your own pain that you need Jesus' healing hand. And it may be your pain because you're going through it with someone else. I, I, I want to let you know that... Um, Jesus understands. Not only does he understand, but um, you, you have the power of him if you're here and you're a Christ follower on your side that will help you to get through those moments. I've said it before and I'll say it again. He may not pluck you and I out of every situation that's painful and suffering. He may know something better than us. My faith has been strengthened through my mom's death. Um, I trust in God at a deeper level than I did a year ago today. Um, my dad is getting remarried in two weeks, <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, there may be some emotional things there. I'll deal with that, all right, on my own. But, no, I'm happy for him. I'm really excited for him. You know, he's, he's just received, like, new life and excitement in his life after six months of just absolutely being so incredibly lonely. But part of... Part of his healing was understanding that God was going to carry him through. We've got two stories in our own church here of, of two men, and there are many more, but I've asked these two guys if I could share just a, a moment of their story um, who, who have gone through some, some terrible suffering themselves. Um, one is Frank Condry. He's right over here to my, my left. He was the, the very first guy that said yes when uh, we were starting this church nine years ago. And Frank has been here, faithful. He's a prayer warrior. Back in the fall, he got word that he had cancer. And it did not look good at all. And we gathered with a group of prayer warriors here, and we prayed for him. Our elders anointed him with oil. James talks about doing that in the church, and that's something that we practice. And he went through some dark days, and Nancy went through some dark days, and his family went through some dark days wondering what was going to happen. Because the doctors didn't give him much hope. And here we are today on March the 20th. And he's cancer free. And he's sitting over there. And he looks amazing. And Frank, I know that what you went through, you got through because of the power of Jesus in your life. You said it so often. And I'm so proud of you and thankful for you. And Richard Ricks is in the back. And he's the chairman of our elders right now. And one of my dearest friends, and Richard just a few weeks ago got a, got a call in a scary set of circumstances um, that he may have a tumor in his colon. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and he's gone through suffering, physical suffering and emotional suffering, and Janice and Missy, his family's gone through some suffering emotionally, wondering what was going to happen to him, because a doctor called him when a doctor who said he doesn't normally call to alert him to the severity of the issue called him. And you know what? They said they probably wouldn't be able to remove that tumor. But they were. Because we prayed. And he's here today. And man, Richard, I'm so thankful for what God has done in your life, 
It's amazing, and to God be the glory for that. And you're another example of someone who said, man, I am going to ask Jesus to see me through this suffering. Man, I'm so happy and thankful for what God's done. <laughs> Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, as we end, says this. Since then we have a great high priest. Look, Caiaphas and the leaders of that day, the religious leaders of that day, all they wanted to do was bring Jesus to his death because they were terrified at what he would do. But today, Jesus is our high priest and we have such a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our, what's that next word? Confession. Through your darkest day and your darkest hour, hold fast to the fact that Jesus is your Savior. And he can see you through the suffering. Look, the other side may not look like you want it to. But you can, you can get through it with him for we do not have uh, a high priest, verse 15 says, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been attempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence say those next two words with me. Draw near to the throne of grace, that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. John 16, says, I say these things to you so that you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. That's a, just another word for suffering, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Look, the bottom line this morning is there is no pain, no suffering, or no loss that we experience or may experience in our lives that he does not understand. Nothing at all that he doesn't understand. And in your darkest hour, you'll hold fast to Jesus. He will see you through. We're going to pray in a moment. And again, I'm going to ask those life group leaders and prayer leaders to come on up front here. And guys, today you can go back behind here and pray with people. So if you want to be prayed for, if you want to be anointed with oil, um, if you want to be prayed for this morning, if you've got something that you're suffering through and you want someone to pray for you here in a moment, as John Redgrave and his band come back up, I'm going to ask you to be courageous and come down front and talk to someone and ask them to pray with you. They can take you back here, a little private area back in the back um, to be prayed with. And let's allow God to begin the healing process right now. Would you pray with me today? Something to think about just as we close. During this week before Easter, I want to encourage you to spend time each day thanking Jesus for his willingness to suffer for you. And in the days of the head, allow the pain that he experienced for you to bring comfort when you experience suffering. Father God, thank you for the, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. And God, we can take no glory in the pain and the suffering that you went through. God, we take no glory in, in what you had to go through for, for our sin and our eternity. God, there's nothing that um, is, is, has any kind of happiness surrounding that except that you did it for us and that you sacrificed for us. And God, I thank you so much for that sacrifice. But God, I thank you that next week we'll get to celebrate the, the best part of the story. And that's when you defeated death. But God, today I pray for everyone who's in here and they walked in this room with some sort of pain, with some sort of suffering, with some sort of calamity or tragedy or tribulation. And God, it may not seem big compared to what you went through. It may seem small potatoes compared to what you went through. But to them, it's huge. And for them, 
it's a deep hurt and it's a deep pain. And God, whether it's an emotional thing or a relational thing or a financial thing or a health issue, God, I pray that, um, that when we have the tendency to say life is not fair, that we would think about the suffering that you went through and understand that you understand. And God, may it draw us to you, not further away from you. God, I pray that you would do healing in the lives of many people who are here today. As John and his team and his band begin to sing, I'm just going to ask you to just be courageous enough if you're going through some sort of pain or some sort of suffering, just to come on down front here and allow one of these folks to pray with you. Many of them have gone through some of the same suffering you've gone through. God, thank you for what you're about to do in the life of this church. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people say.